I'm going to read the scripture for today's uh, sermon, but before I do that, we're going to pray a short prayer of illumination. To truly learn from the scriptures, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us, so we'll humbly ask him to help us learn from his word today. So let's pray. Our holy God, give us humble, obedient, and teachable hearts that we may learn from your word, grow in your love, and walk in your ways. Praise be to Christ. Amen. The scripture for today is from Hebrews. We'll start in chapter 4, verse 14, and we'll go on to chapter 5, verse 6. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. Must be to Christ. Jeff, did you say we're going to ask calmly for illumination? Yeah. <laughs> Could anyone picture Jeff saying we're going to ask exuberantly? It would be a very not Jeff thing to do for those of you that know him, I think. Oh, either, either one works. We have uh, looked at this scripture either three or four times over the course of uh, this series because it has a lot to teach us about who Jesus is, and specifically in this case, how he deals. Jesus deals gently. Hebrews 5 is um, talking about the high priestly order set up in the Old Testament, but it's doing it to, to further explain Jesus from chapter 4, which is why I had Jeff read um, from chapter 4 and from chapter 5. Do you remember your favorite teacher? Favorite coach? Favorite band leader? I went to Holland Hall in Tulsa, Oklahoma until second grade. Favorite teacher there was Miss Lane. I went to Elliott Elementary for three years. My favorite teacher there was Miss Holsey. I transferred to a school called Metro. My favorite teacher in junior high was Mr. Timms, and he wasn't just sweet. He looked at me across his desk, just he and I in his room because he was the discipline officer, and I really needed a lot of discipline, and he said, he who despises discipline is stupid. 
said that right to my face. He's my favorite teacher in junior high. In high school, it was Mr. Passmore. In college, it was Dr. Friesen. And in seminary, it was Dr. Calhoun. Can you remember your favorite coaches, band leaders, teachers? And it's for lots of reasons that they're your favorite, right? Maybe it's personality, clarity. But I also bet that you had a teacher that was not gentle. And compared to your favorite, that's part of the reason that you're so thankful for them. Jesus deals gently. Chapter 5, verse 2. It's talking about the high priestly order in order to further expand on the teaching from chapter 4 of Hebrews that Jesus deals gently. And one of the reasons I'm enjoying this series so much is we're zeroing in on a specific trait of Jesus And then if you're willing and able, and if you know the Bible, this is happening indirectly, it helps us understand so much of how and why Jesus did what he did. But that means that you know the stories of Jesus. That means you know the miracles and the teachings. I want to encourage you to continue to learn those stories. I think I've told parts of this story before, according to the person the story's about. Uh, right before COVID, I, ra- I rode 100 miles on a bicycle. I know I'm as surprised as any of you that I actually made it. And the coolies helped uh, train me. Dave and Sheila Cooley, some of you know them. And I asked them when we went for a training ride, what are you guys going to do if I die while uh, bike riding? And without missing a beat, they said he died doing something we love. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And Dave saw my setup in the basement, which he helped... Um, loaned me a lot of equipment. Um, It's part of the reason I was able to finish the race. And he saw a recumbent bike down there. And those of you that cycle know this to be true. He said, there is no substitute for sitting on an actual bicycle seat for hours. What he meant was, you cannot do that and be trained for this. And the reason I'm overly nuancing something that's very basic is, you know, if I say, read your Bible, know the stories of Jesus, that's just, you're just the least surprised ever. The reason I'm nuancing it is sometimes we talk about quiet times and time in the Word as though it accomplishes way more than it accomplishes. Some of the way that I was taught it growing up was if I'll just read the Bible before I do anything else in the morning or as I'm drinking my coffee, I'll grow and be at peace. We need so much more than that, but we don't need less than knowing the stories and the teachings, and the miracles, and why Jesus did them. I'd encourage those of you that are uh, getting to know Jesus and getting to know those stories um, to perhaps start in the book of Mark. Very action-packed, so you want to read it slowly. I love what we give to students, even though it's a giant study Bible. I keep one on my shelf at home, and the reason I keep it at home is I want to have access to it every day. Despite knowing Hebrew and Greek, being a professional Christian for 20 years, having read the Bible for almost 40 years, I still have questions. And I hope that you do too, and I hope that you have a solid reference for them. I don't read out of the study Bible. This Bible I have up here doesn't even have a concordance in it, because I prefer to read just the words. But then when I have a question and I want to study, I have one on my shelf. So I hope that you do also. I don't know if you can have one of those. We probably don't have any extras, but... We have one extra? All right. If anyone would like an ESV study Bible after the service, don't do it right now. We'd be happy to give you one. What we're looking at today 
that Jesus deals gently. I think it's easy to think of our favorite coach and teacher, and uh, one of the reasons is I think we can think of our least favorite pretty quickly also. Think your least favorite coach, least favorite music or band director. <laughs> I remember getting really upset during a JV basketball game. Coach benched me, which was always probably the right move, just to be frank. And I kicked the bench. And uh, coach did not call timeout, did not say a word, just said, we're going out into the hall. And he explained that that was never going to happen again. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was being harsh. It was totally legitimate. And yet, when I think back on the coaches that really helped me, it was because they were both clear and gentle. And there are so many reasons this is important. One of them is, I have a hunch that you're not gentle with yourself. I was talking in the first service about the inner critic, and I said, I think all of us have an inner critic. And then I said, maybe your inner critic always quotes, quotes scripture in context gently. And they just all started laughing. And I've never been caught off, I can't remember being caught off guard by laughter in the first service. <sighs> You guys sometimes do it. And I'm like, oh, I didn't realize anything I was saying was remotely funny. I think you're not gentle with yourself in correction. Earlier this week, I watched uh, the Celtics, and then I watched When Harry Met Sally. So I fell asleep at like 12.15. My kids get on the bus at 6.25. Probably not my best idea. What did I do all the next day when I wasn't as productive as I wanted? Just beat myself up. Maybe none of you do that. But part of the sweetness of the good news is how different Jesus is than the world that would shame us, than ourselves that would constantly criticize us, call ourselves names, than the evil one who, though defeated, has not yet been shackled and longs for you to flounder in this life through whatever means through despair, through legitimate fears and fatigue and anxiety that we then allow to crush us instead of casting them on our Savior. You know what I see a lot with parents is a great deal of shame and guilt and anger about the pandemic and what they could have or should have done as parents. And first of all, like, there's no handbook especially for that. It reminds me a little bit of um, my generation X and how we had no guidance on what to do with the little devices that everyone has that look like phones but are more often used in other ways. Even more so the pandemic. And I see parents and they, they shame themselves indirectly. They're angry with themselves. They blame themselves for a collective pandemic. Maybe not you guys, but I see it all the time. And what's important for us to understand is that's not Jesus. The creator of the universe doesn't need to be harsh or stoke your anxiety or your fear or your anger in order to get your attention or to communicate clearly with you. He deals 
gently. I was talking with Rick Schoenhart years ago about uh, different forms of prayer. And he talked about, he was talking about a specific form of prayer uh, where you ask God a question and listen. And then he talked about how he likes regular prayer too. Some of you only like regular prayer and that's great. Some of you pray and you ask the Lord questions and that is fine. But you must test those answers. In the New Testament, this is called testing the spirits. And it's essential. If your answer comes straight from Scripture and is contextually related, you're good. You must talk with other Christians, especially wise ones who know their Bible, about what you hear to make sure it's from the Lord. And if you think I'm overstating this, that's fine. I disagree. I was talking with a pastor, I think eight years ago, and the way that he came to faith in Jesus was through knowledge of how his sin was hurtful to himself and others. And so he gave his life to Jesus. Yay, good news. I think 15 years later, that conviction was still oppressing him. And I looked at him and I said, you're a pastor? Does that phrase sound like Jesus? And he started weeping and I started weeping and we're in like an olive garden. Our poor, our poor waitress is like, why are these men hugging and crying? It's because for years he had been oppressed by an untrue, unloving statement not from the Lord. So if you're the kind of person that prays creatively, good. Test those answers, which you cannot do alone. Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward. I have terrific news for you, friends. That's us. All of your sins have either been because you didn't know it was sin or you didn't care. And I know that it's legit. It was fatigue. It was anxiety. It was anger. But that's it. Those are our sins. We either didn't know or, and, and I know it, it wasn't like that. It was like slowly succumbed to it or accidentally fell into temptation. We were conflicted about it and then we were sad about it later. And it's so essential to pay attention to this for a second because if we're not honest about it, what are we going to do with our sin? If we're not honest that we sin out of ignorance and out of waywardness, to use the term straight from Hebrews, then we won't turn to Jesus whose heart is to restore you. Not to God who's not mad at you, but to your sense of self before him. You don't realize that in your ignorance and waywardness you would run from the Father, and you don't realize that he's waiting to re-embrace you. Do you know the... Um, Oh no, that's later in my notes. Stay on target. One of the greatest gifts that uh, John Calvin gave to theology is to teach us why the law, any moral command in the scriptures, is in there. It's called Calvin's Third Use of the Law. And you're like, I did not come to church to hear about John Calvin. But hang with me, this is so important. It's because every moral command in scripture tells us three things. It tells us God's standard, 
So it tells us something about his holiness. It tells us about our own need, and it guides us into a life that loves others and doesn't harm them. Every command. Worship God only. Don't worship idols. Carry his name with honor. Take a day off. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. All of those, that's the Ten Commandments in the first service. I missed one of them because we're all in this together, and sometimes I forget things too. It was rough though. They, they gave me a moment, and then they told me which one I was forgetting. It was theft. I forgot, which seems obvious maybe. All of those, every law, tells us about God's holiness, tells us about our need, and guides us into life. In Mark chapter 10, a teaching that I assume is familiar to you, Jesus was setting out on his journey. I'm in chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. A man ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? Which is a great question. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Six. Do not commit adultery. Seven. Do not steal. Eight. Do not bear false witness. Nine. Do not defraud. I'm giving the commandments as they, gave, as they came in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, after God rescued the people, right? You following me? So he gets to nine, and then he goes, Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother, which is number five. And the man said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. The disciples get a little bit confused about this story. So Jesus says to them in verse 29, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. This is Jesus gently showing to this man the thing that was getting in the way of full allegiance to Jesus. It was commandment number 10. The one he doesn't reference, knowing the man knows the law. He's gently leading him to see that his affection for possessions was distracting him from allegiance to Jesus because Jesus deals gently. Do you know the commandments well? Do you know what movie this is from? Four of you do. This is from History of the World, part one. This is right before Mel Brooks, pretending to be Moses, says, these 15, then he drops one, these 10 commandments. <laughs> Perhaps this one's more familiar to you. Charlton Heston. The letters, I don't know if they show up on the... That is not Hebrew. I don't know what language it is, but it's not Hebrew kind of annoys me. My point is, to understand the heart of God, we must also understand his law and why we have it. I hope you know the Ten Commandments, because they tell us something about God. They tell us something about our need, and they're given to us that we might flourish in our love for God, Commandments 1 through 4, and care for the neighbors he's put into our life, Commandments 5 through 10. So even as he deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward, 
we can become less ignorant and less wayward, not through our knowledge, but knowledge is part of it, through understanding his heart. Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward because of his heart. It's who he is. To sympathize, to deal gently in correction and in love with us. The one time Jesus describes his heart, which is his motivation, he says it's gentle. Matthew 11, verse 28. And some of us think that that's not the most motivating thing, that harsh would be more motivating. And I would encourage you to expand your imagination. But more importantly, Jesus believed this would be the way to motivate us to love God and people, to understand his heart. First in his description, Matthew 11, and then in the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the rest of the Bible. Jesus deals gently with the ignorant and the wayward, which is us, because that's who he is. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for your affection and patience and kindness towards us. Jesus, we thank you for so many instances of you dealing with the ignorant and the wayward gently and lovingly. Holy Spirit, would you guide us away from our ignorance and waywardness into your loving arms. Amen.